So if you have your Bible with you, or device with your Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we are beginning a new sermon series, working our way through this book. And and just a place where we are, this is the Old Testament. You'll remember the, the Bible has the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we're in the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures that were written before the birth of Christ. And then within the Old Testament, there are many different genres. There's, there's history, there's prophecy, there's law. And one of the, the genres of literature in the Old Testament is wisdom. There are many books of wisdom literature. You can think of the book of Proverbs, the, the wisdom of Solomon. In a way, the, the, the book of Proverbs is, the, uh, is a positive book, looking at the, this positive view of wisdom. What What does it look like to live as a wise person in the world? And Ecclesiastes, as we'll see, is is in a sense the the other side of that coin. It's showing us that as much as we should seek to live lives of wisdom in the world, that, that if we're only considering life under the sun in this present world, apart from God, this secular life in the world that is not going to produce hope or happiness or peace. That's what we're going to explore, and we'll get into that much more. But again, let's read our text today. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south. And goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been already in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we look to you as the Lord of our lives. We know that you say the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So we look to your word to give us wisdom, wisdom from above today. Make us wise in Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. So if you're taking notes today, 
It's going to be a simple outline. Really, we're just going to walk verse by verse through this passage today, laying the, the foundation for this series in the book of Ecclesiastes. So look with me at verse 1 in your Bible. And as we walk through this, I encourage you just to keep your Bible open so you can follow as we go along. And so you see that the introduction, whom is this book coming from? And says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And you look at that word preacher. This is the word where the, actually the name of the book comes from. The, the Hebrew word is kohelet, and it's from the, the Hebrew word kahal, which means assembly, that the assembly of God's people is the, the kahal, the gathering together. And so this word kohelet, translated preacher here, could also be translated leader of the assembly or speaker of the assembly. And it's interesting that when this book was translated into Greek, almost 200 years before the birth of Jesus, they used the word ecclesiastes, where we get the word ecclesiastes. And so the, the name of our book here in English, Ecclesiastes, is based on the, the Greek name, the Greek translation of this book. But then you hear that word ecclesiastes, you might think ecclesiological, if you know that word, the word Ecclesia in the New Testament is the word that is used for the church, the gathering, the assembly of God's people. And so you can think then as the preacher, the Kohelet, the Ecclesiastes is the one who is gathering God's people together to hear the wisdom of the Lord. And it's the, the gathering of God's people, the Old Testament church, the Old Testament people of Israel and also us as the New Testament covenant people of God are being called to hear the word of the preacher, the word of this Kohelet. But then you say, well, he's called the preacher, but what else do we know about him? What else do we know about the, the author, the source of this book? So look again at verse one, and it says that this Kohelet, this preacher, is the son of David. And you hear that, and you hear that he's a king in Jerusalem, and you would probably think that this is Solomon, the son of David, who was the, the king of wisdom, the, the starting place, really, for the wisdom literature of Israel. And if you look at the history of interpretation of this book, most people have identified Solomon as the preacher. This is the, the son of David. But uh, there have been others that have, have challenged that view that that this is talking about Solomon he's never mentioned in the book as he's mentioned elsewhere and there's some evidence based on the style of the Hebrew and things that are too complicated for me <laughs> that it seems like later Hebrew the Hebrew style that's later than the, the time of Solomon and so people wonder even many Bible believing scholars is this coming from Solomon or from another source and really as we think about the authorship of this book there, there are two theories that are plausible, reasonable theories that are held by many Bible-believing, faithful scholars. And so the, the first option is to see this not as the words of Solomon per se, but rather to see this as a later Hebrew author who is, in a sense, taking up the persona of Solomon, taking up the, the persona of this wise king of Israel, 
and speaking wisdom in, in, in a sense, the form of a parable reflecting on this theme of the meaning of life. Is there purpose under the sun? And so that's a reasonable explanation, almost like a parable that you would see from Jesus, where, where he's picking up a, a voice to proclaim the wisdom of God. But then another option that many faithful scholars hold is that Solomon is, in fact, the preacher, that this book has its source in the wisdom of Solomon himself, and that perhaps he himself arranged it, or some also say that maybe an inspired editor came along later, explaining the later Hebrew style, and, and arranged it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into the current form in which we have it. And that's also definitely a possibility. And it, for me, that's the side that I lean into, that I see this as the, the words of Solomon, that see Kohelet, the, the preacher, as Solomon speaking to us. And, and partly, it's falling in line with the, the history of interpretation of this book. But then also, I think there's a comforting element of seeing this as the words of Solomon. Because if you'll remember, Solomon, the, the son of David, was this wise king who asked for wisdom from the Lord rather than riches or long life. And the Lord gave him wisdom, riches, and long life. And he built the, the temple in Jerusalem. Kings and queens came from around the known world to, to marvel at the wisdom of Solomon. But also as he accumulated wealth and possessions that, that he began to live for pleasure and we're told in the, the history of, of Israel that he ended up turning away from the worship of God at the end of his life into the worship of idols under the influence of his wives. And strangely, we never hear about the repentance of Solomon in the Bible. It doesn't tell us whether or not he turned back to the Lord. And so you wonder, will we see Solomon in heaven? Was he a true believer or not? We, we can wonder about that question, but... If Ecclesiastes is, is coming from Solomon as its source, that we can see that after he lived for wisdom and lived for pleasure and lived for success, that perhaps at the very end of his life, he came back to this place of this simple trust in God, this, this sense that the accumulation of more in this life is not the source of hope and happiness, that, that we can find it only in the simplicity of life looking to God alone for the purpose and the direction of our life. And that's where this book is going to be taking us, looking at the, the meaning of life. And so that's verse 1. We see this coming from the preacher. But then look at verse 2. Verse 2, we move from the source of this book, the preacher, to the primary theme of this book. You say, what is the book of Ecclesiastes about? In verse 2, it, it, it launches in. It says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so really, if this were a symphony, this would be the, the opening theme that would be developed by the composer throughout the symphony. Would reappear over and over again in different forms. And as we, as we work our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, this theme of vanity will come back. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is the, the central motif of this book. 
And the, the Hebrew word behind this is hevel, hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel. And the word hevel, it's translated vanity here, but literally it means breath or vapor. You can think of, of being out in the cold in a, on a winter morning where you breathe and the breath comes out and you see the vapor in the air and then it disappears. Some translations will, will render it as meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. But I actually don't think that that's the, the best translation because the purpose here is not to say that everything is meaningless, that there's no meaning in the things of our life, but rather to say that, that it's breath, breath, everything is breath, it's vapor. It's to say that it's temporary, that it's, it's going to, it's fleeting, it's passing away, it's, it's here today and gone tomorrow, that, that life itself is chasing after wind. So you can think about this as life is good, you're enjoying life, you're, everything is going well. But then as soon as you try to really take hold of life, as soon as you try to control your life, it, it, it disappears, it fades away, it, it blows away that there is this temporary fleeting nature to life. That you finally get good at your job and then it's time to retire. You finally reach the height of your athletic career and then you get injured and you have to walk away from it. Or you finally have the self-control and the discipline and the, the life experience to really learn, but then your, your memory begins to go. Or you finally have time to spend with your spouse, but then your spouse gets sick and dies. And you could go on and on. That, that life is so hard, it's so fleeting, it's, it's here today and it's, it's gone tomorrow, that you try to take hold of it, you try to control it, it, it floats away, that, that it's, it's elusive when you really get down to it. It's vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But then flowing out of this theme, the Kohelet, the preacher, then presents this question for us. He says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then look at his question in verse 3. And in verse 2 is really the main theme. This is the, the central question of this entire book. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And as you look at that verse, you see that phrase, under the sun. It's a phrase that's unique to this book that this book is exploring life under the sun. Life, in a sense, if there were no God, would there be hope? Would there be life? Would there be meaning? Would there be purpose? But then also, I, I mentioned the word for vanity is the word hevel in Hebrew. And hevel is also the word that is used for one of the sons of Adam, Abel. So in our English translations, we have the name Abel, so you say Cain and Abel. In Hebrew, it's Cain and Hevel. That, that, that the son of Adam and Eve was named breath, was named vapor, and ended up being murdered by his brother, showing that his life itself was, was vapor. But then also when you look here in verse 3, you see that it says, What 
does man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? And that word for man is the word Adam, the word Adam, which is the name of the first man. And so in this, this Hevel, this Adam, this, it's drawing this imagery back to the very beginning of the Bible. And you remember the curse that God laid down on Adam, on man, through their sin, through turning away from the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil? at which he toils under the sun, that that life is full of so much toil, so much work, so much hardship. And maybe you feel that today, that you feel the the toil of life, the daily grind of life, that it, it feels meaningless. It feels like it doesn't have purpose. You wake up every morning and you do the exact same routine. You make your coffee again. You go to work again. You have to get your hair cut Again, you pay your bills. Again, you keep working and working and laboring and laboring. And you begin to wonder, is there meaning? Is there purpose in this? Does my life have a a direction? Is this going anywhere? And just to, to reinforce that, then look at how the preacher draws our attention to the world around us, that the world just keeps going and going and going that we may be vapor and breath, but the world continues. Look at verse 4. He says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full, to the place where the streams flow. There they will flow again. So you see this image is going around and around and around. And one of the commentaries that I looked at mentioned that the theme from Lion King, the the Disney movie, that the circle of life. And so this is what we see here, the, the circle of life. And in a way, in Lion King, it's more of a New Age concept of the, the circle of life. But, but here we can see that the biblical aspect of that, that there is this, this circle of life that's going around and around. It keeps on going. But instead of this strangely positive image that you see in the Lion King of this, this circle of life, it's this cruel, almost pessimistic circle that is highlighted here that you see that the sun rising, it keeps rising and rising, but is it actually accomplishing anything? Around and around it goes. 
You see the wind, it blows and it blows and it blows, but does it ever accomplish anything? The streams keep flowing down to the rivers. The Mississippi flows into the ocean, but does it accomplish anything? Does it affect the ocean? That it, it, it just evaporates and goes back and rains down again, that there's this, this circle, but is it actually going anywhere? Is it accomplishing anything? Is there a point even to the, the process of nature itself? So look at verse 8. He says, all things are full of weariness. That there's this weariness as it goes around and around and around. He says, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. that the, You can see so much and you're never satisfied nor the ear filled with hearing, that, that you can keep hearing and you just want to hear more. So this is the, the problem being presented here in our text. But then you say, well, wait a second, life is hard, it's full of toil, but the reason that I'm here, the reason that I work, the reason I, I, I continue to, to toil on in the struggles of life under the sun it's because I hope to, to make a difference. I hope to leave some legacy here in the world that, that maybe what I do will be remembered. Maybe I'll contribute to my field in some way. Maybe I'll, I'll build something that will endure. Maybe I will write a book that will be read in generations to come. Or I will leave in some way a better planet for my children. And that is where my meaning and, and my significance will come from. And I remember as a, as a child, this, this Viking poem in one of the, the books that we, we read for our history class, and it said, cattle die, kindred die, every man is mortal. But I know one thing that never dies, the glory of a great deed. And, and for some reason that stuck with me since I was a kid. Cattle die, kindred die, every man is mortal. But there's one thing that will never die, the glory of a great deed. And then you want to put on your, your Viking armor and charge into battle but then the, the, the wisdom of Kohelet, the preacher, comes, comes to that Viking sage, and then the Viking sage gets into an argument with the Hebrew sage. And the Hebrew sage says, wait a second, you think the glory of a great deed will be remembered? You think that it will endure? You think that's where the meaning of life comes from? Look at verse 9. He says, what has been done is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been already in ages before us. And now he's, he's not saying that ancient people had iPhones or cars in the sense that there's nothing new. In one sense that you have something new, but when you really get down to human advancement, human purpose, what we're doing, that, that there's nothing really new. That, that Sometimes you hear the phrase that those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. But really what it's saying here is that that's, there's, that's true to an extent, that, that we are doomed to repeat it, that, that we're not as original as we think we are. I remember hearing somebody say that, that even many of the college students that he teaches uh, they, they all dress the same, but they all think that the way that they dress is a statement of their individuality. Uh, and and, and he always, they get a little bit uncomfortable when he tries to, to challenge that. 
But I think that there's a sense of that, that we are far less original than we think we are quite often as we consider our lives in the world today and ourselves over against people of, of history, that, that there's nothing new under the sun. And then you say, well, then what am I doing? And, and that's in, in verse 11, he, he brings even worse news. He, he says that there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there, there, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This reminds me of something my, my dad was saying recently. Apparently one of his great aunts came to stay with him when he was a little boy, and because she was unmarried, she slept in his room. And he said that, that all he remembers about her is that she snored. And my brother, when we were talking about it, pointed out that it's interesting that probably not a whole lot of people remember that woman actually in, in person. But one of the few things that anybody who actually knew her remembered was that she snored. But yet she was somebody who had a full life. She had experiences. She had joys. She had, had sorrows. And you can think about that even for your own family, that you probably know the name of your parents, or you probably know the names of your grandparents. Probably then fewer know the names of their great-grandparents, Probably even fewer know the names of their great-great-grandparents, and I doubt that too many know the names of their great-great-great-great-grandparents, unless you are obsessed with genealogy. But then even then, quite often, all you have is a name on a list, that you know very little of the person's actually actual life. And that's a, that's a terrifying thought, to think that, that even our descendants won't know who we are, that that will for be forgotten even by the people who share our DNA, in a sense. Or even if you manage to accomplish something really great in your life. I mean, imagine that you became president of the United States. You would say, then somebody will remember me. Then I will endure. But then you think of as a child when you had to memorize the, the names of the presidents, and it's this 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 chore, this, it's something that you don't want to do as a child. And so even for somebody who becomes president of the United States, there comes a time, maybe a hundred years later, where some child is being forced just to remember their name, knowing nothing else about their life. And so this is what is being described here. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity, says the preacher. So you say, well, this is kind of a depressing sermon. Um, this is, this is that, but if you think about it, this is a question that we face in life, that, that quite often when people are young, they don't think about the, the meaning and the purpose of life. But there's a reason why people face the midlife crisis, and it's because they've been working and working and working, and then they start to realize that probably they're not going to become the top of their company, probably they're not going to do anything that will be remembered, and they, they recognize that in the course of human history, their lives are going to seem insignificant, and so they wonder, why am I here? What is the purpose? Does my life have any direction? And what we're, we're learning here, and what we will learn in this series in the book of Ecclesiastes, is that if we're looking for meaning and for significance and for, for hope and purpose, we're not going to find it under the sun, 
That under the sun, there is a sense in which everything is meaningless. It's vapor. It's chasing after wind. That if you're trying to build your identity, you can't do it under the sun because it's vapor, chasing after wind. If you're trying to build who you are at the deepest core of your being, you're not going to find it in this life under the sun. And as depressing as Ecclesiastes can be, I remember a friend of mine from seminary who actually came to to Christ in part by reading the book of Ecclesiastes. He grew up in a family where there was no talk of God. It was a family, a very secular family. And he started going with some friends to a youth group in high school. And, And so he thought, you know what, I should probably read the Bible. And somebody at his youth group had said how much they loved the book of Ecclesiastes. So he got a Bible, and the first book that he ever read in the Bible was the book of Ecclesiastes. And, he, and he, it was, he said it was shocked him. He didn't think this is what the Bible was. It, it defied his expectation of the Bible. But then he also was struck by the realism of it, that, that this isn't something that's just trying to paint a beautiful, flowery picture of life, that it's, it's painting this very realistic picture of the struggle of life. And what the book of Ecclesiastes does is present an apologetic, this defense of the faith. And it's, what it's doing is you can think about if there's the, the stool of reliance of thing, on things in this life, that, that Ecclesiastes is this wrecking ball that's breaking the leg out from all of the trust that we have in anything in this life, saying, you try to trust in this? No, you can't do it. Trust in money? No. Trust in pleasure? No. None of these things will bring happiness. And then what the book of Ecclesiastes does is prepare our hearts for Christ, to prepare our hearts for the gospel, to say, where do you find meaning and significance? And that's what Jesus was getting at when he says that that all of the Bible testifies to himself, that, that the book of Ecclesiastes is ultimately about Jesus himself, that Jesus comes as the true preacher, the true cohelet, that he comes as the, the true and the final son of David, the king in Jerusalem. But not the king in this Jerusalem, but the king in the new Jerusalem. And it's this king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in his life and preached righteousness, living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial death. And as, he, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, I'm sure that, that people looked at it and said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, There's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be again. Here's another person dying on a Roman cross who will be buried in a mass grave, be forgotten forgotten to history. But yet what was happening on the cross was not vanity and chasing after wind. What was happening on the cross was actually something new, something unique in all of human history, something that had, had never happened up until that point and has never happened since, that the Son of God taking on himself the sins of all of his people to redeem them from the futility and the vanity of this life under the sun. And that even though there's nothing new under the sun, that through Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, that we have, we have new birth. We, we enter into the new covenant. We come into the new heavens and the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. We are to live in newness of life. And we see that there is hope, there is purpose, there is 
meaning that in Christ, our labors are not in vain, that he fills it with meaning and significance and hope and purpose. Jesus Christ, the true son of David, the true king in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that though this life under the sun is, is vanity and chasing after winds, it's vapor, it's breath, it's temporary. We thank you for the eternal perspective that we have through Jesus, that our lives are not defined by simply the flow of this world. And we know that there is an end to this world, that there will come a day when the, the sun does not rise, when the rivers stop flowing, when, when you reform this current world into the new heavens and the new earth, into something new, something glorious. And Lord, we thank you that we, we have hope in this life, that we can love and live and, and serve through Christ and in Christ because of the hope that he gives us. So Lord, I, we pray today that we can let go of our trust in the things of this life, trust in our own self-made significance and to, to root our significance and our identity in Jesus Christ alone. As we pray in his name, amen. Mm -hmm. <clears throat>